You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. We're going to continue our series today, uh, if you can go to the first slide there, um, called uh, Finding Hope. We're going to uh, continue in that one. Uh, we've been looking through the minor prophets and, uh, and, and kind of some of these, these parts of the Bible that we may, maybe don't hear from quite as often, and uh, it's been great. So we're going to wrap that up today. We haven't hit every single one of the minor prophets, but we've hit a lot of them. Uh, today we're going to be looking at Zechariah. Uh, and uh, the title of the lesson is Do Not Despise These Small Beginnings from one of the uh, quotes there in Zechariah. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But it's great to be together. This is our last uh, live stream of the year. It's been an interesting year, a crazy year. Who would have known in March that uh, we would be still doing this uh, every week from our house? Uh, we were just sort of scrambling to, to figure out how to still meet together. And God's really blessed us. It's been Great connecting with all of you every week in this way and learning new tools, and um, it's been great. But uh, we are not going to be meeting on uh, on YouTube next week. We're going to meet in house churches over Zoom or in a park uh, or however you decide to meet for church there in a safe way. Um, but uh, we're not going to have our live stream next Sunday. We'll put something on this channel to point you to some resources in case we have somebody that uh, that doesn't find a house church. We want Our goal is really to connect you to a house church, though. But it's been great. We were on Zoom on Wednesday. Um, here's a little clip of a, or a little uh, picture of uh, one of our guests. Maybe you can just follow me because this isn't working, honey. Uh, here's a picture of one of our our guests, uh, uh, guests that we had on Zoom. We had the Santa Claus himself. Uh, joining us and talking to the kids. It was a lot of fun. Um, so uh, it's awesome. It's an awesome time of year. I love Christmas. I hope you love Christmas. The only people that maybe miss out a little bit on Christmas are people whose birthday it is uh, in, uh, you know, the, near Christmas. Uh, here's a here's something that somebody posted on the Disciples Meme uh, page yesterday. Just to be perfectly clear, these gifts are for your birthday and Christmas. <laughs> I love that. Uh, here's a quote from Zechariah as we jump into Zechariah. Zechariah 2.13 says, Be still before the Lord all mankind, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. What a powerful, awesome you know, uh, idea of just all of mankind being still, uh, because God is speaking and God has roused himself. Zechariah is very dramatic and very... Uh, full of a lot of really powerful imagery, as we're going to see. We, we don't, we're not going to have time to look through the whole book. And just to kind of give you a bit of background, uh, last time I spoke, we were in the book of Haggai, and I kind of picked these books. You know, the other brothers picked the books they wanted to first, and then I, I kind of had the leftovers to pick from. But um, I picked Zechariah and Haggai uh, purposely because they're, they're from the same time period. They were most likely uh, friends. Uh, they were certainly mentioned together in Ezra and Nehemiah as being the, the, the teachers that really helped the people. But they're very different books. Uh, Haggai, we looked at last time. Uh, just to remind you, uh, the, the context of Haggai there, it's, it's, they're coming back. They've, they've, the Jews have gone into exile in Babylon, and then the kingdom of Babylon, the, the empire of Babylon was overcome by the Persian Empire, and the Persian Empire, they had a, a different kind of approach with the people that they were over, the, their kind of uh, conquered peoples, than the Babylonians. The Babylonians wanted to force people to worship Babylonian gods, as you see in the book of Daniel, you know, with, uh, with some of the stories in there. 
But the Persians said, no, people can keep their own religion. They can kind of have sort of a little bit of self-government. We, we, just want, uh, we, we just want their money and we want, you know, we're going to still be take from them, but we'll let them go and worship. So they, the, the, the Persian, under the Persians, the, the people were allowed to go back uh, to the promised land. They still were under the Persian rule, but they were able to uh, go back to their homeland. They were able to begin to rebuild the temple. But what was happening in, in Haggai is people were building their own houses while the temple still remained in ruin. And God tells them, you know, th- this is why things aren't working out for you because you're not putting me first. You're putting yourself first. And 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 his goal wasn't just because he wanted this fancy temple. His His goal was for them to understand what it meant for him to be with them, that the temple really represented God's presence in their lives. It, it, you know, you notice in Haggai, it's not about how beautiful or big or how expansive the temple is. It's the point that you, our hearts, it's the point that we're, we're, we're giving to God first. And in fact, in Haggai, um, God says, I'm going to do more with this little temple than I ever did with the temple of Solomon. You're going to see, I'm going to do amazing things. So, because he says the gold is mine, the silver is mine, every, you know, it's not about that. It's about your heart and it's about me and you working together and that I am with you. And he says, I, I have chosen you. Do not fear. I am with you. Uh, that, we need that reminder. We, we still need that reminder today. So that's the same context as Zechariah. Uh, but Haggai is just a couple chapters. It, it spans about nine months of time period, whereas Zechariah is much, uh, much longer, many years. It's 14 chapters. And uh, it's a different style. It's a different kind of genre. We haven't really talked about this genre with this series, but it's called apocalyptic. The genre is apocalyptic. Uh, if you look at this picture on screen, this is kind of, you know, sometimes artists will try to render some of these visions. This is of the four horsemen that you see in Zechariah. Um, and, uh, you know, they're also, uh, again, repeated in the book of Revelation. You, you can't really, they're not really even designed to be able to paint because some of them are so crazy. It's like this thing is covered with eyes and it has wings and it has a lion's head and it has a, you know, an eagle's head and it has, you know, it's just, it's, it's very different, very different kind of writing and you read it differently than you read other types of, of genre of scripture. And so we don't have time. You, you could take a whole course in apocalyptic writing. We don't have time to really dig into it a lot, but I just want to give you a little bit of background. So if you read Zechariah and I hope you will, you'll kind of understand how to read it. Um, Apocalyptic writing is heavy use of symbols. Uh, it's very dramatic, a lot of cosmic imagery. There are usually uh, guided tours, uh, like a, a heavenly being kind of guides the person who's having a vision and shows them different things. Um, it's, the visions aren't really meant to be taken literally or uh, sequentially or, um, you know, it, they're not linear. It's, it's not like this happened and this happened. Sometimes it's, you're sort of stepping outside of, of, of our realm and, and our time-bound existence and sort of trying to get a little bit of, of, of the heavenly perspective uh, from a cosmic vantage point. And uh, apocaly- apocalyptic writing, it always appears during times of crisis. And it, that's when it's really cherished the most. Um, it, you see it in here in, in Zechariah a lot. It's in Joel, uh, Daniel, uh, Hezekiah, I mean, uh, uh, Ezekiel. Um, you see it in... Um, uh, uh, also in a bit of Isaiah, but uh, Ezekiel, really classic, uh, apocalyptic writing, Daniel, classic. And then in, in, in between the two uh, testaments, there was a lot of this type of, of writing that was very familiar to um, Jesus and the people in the first century, the first century. This was a genre they all understood. And just like we have genres that we understand, like we understand 
uh, Star Wars, right? Uh, we understand that genre, that 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 sci-fi sci-fi western genre, which is what Star Wars is considered sci-fi western. You know, we kind of understand that. Um, there's all kinds of little references that you know. If you watch a show that just has little bits of, you know, you you, you get it. You know, you know what a what it means for somebody to be transported. You know, <laughs> you, if you hear this phrase "beam me up," you know what that means. You know, we we understand this sci-fi genre, and that, obviously that's Star Trek, not Star Wars. Don't hey, don't send me hate that. mail. <laughs> um, but tractor beam. You know, like if you took somebody from 200 years ago and you talk about tractor beam, what like that? What is it? You know, we know what a tractor beam is, right? So apocalyptic is like that. You, the, the listeners in the first century they understand how to how to how to hear this um, this kind of stuff. And, and uh, but but a lot of times we don't. And, and the reason that's important is because sometimes we end up taking that kind of um, literature and pressing it for too many details, or trying to say you know you hear people saying, well, this in Revelation represents Russia, and this is what China is doing right now. And here you see you know the rise of the. Uh, you know, uh, of India, or I don't, I don't know what, you know, they just, again, whatever the headlines are, now you find that in Daniel, now you find that in Revelation. And uh, I'm not saying that these these images that, that God gives can't be have new meaning, but if someone says this is absolutely the only thing that it means, don't listen to that person, <laughs> you know, because how much hope would it bring someone in the first century, I'm talking about Revelation now, but to say, you know, this is going to happen in 2,000 years. You know, it, 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 the, the point of it is to give hope in present crisis. That's the point of apocalyptic writing. And so it does have future visions, but those future visions are meant to bring hope in present crisis. And it's kind of like we, we're doing what we're doing here, but God is moving in a way that we don't really even understand. And uh, there, there's that, that analogy that when, when the stage is dark, why is the stage dark? It's because... Everything's being set for the next act. And that's kind of what apocalyptic does is it's sort of like, well, let's show you what's happening behind the scenes. Let's show you what's happening in God's arena. God is in control. God rules the nations. God is sovereign. God is holy. And so even though you're in crisis, even though you're being persecuted for your faith, Christians, or in this case, it was the, the time in between the Testaments, there was incredible persecution on the people of God. Um, if you read Hebrews 11, where it talks about how they were persecuted and they were sawed in two and they were thrown in jail and refused to be released and all this kind of stuff, that's talking about this time period that God's people are about to go through in the in the in the time following Zechariah, especially at the hands of the Greeks. And so th those are it, it's meant to to bring us hope when we are in crisis and we're going through a tough time right now. You know, we're going through crisis right now, and so these images can bring us hope. And uh, I read uh, through Ze Zechariah. Uh, when we were all doing the Bible app, I, I read through it over the summer or late, uh, early, early uh, fall or whatever it was. And I read through it again just this week. And uh, it was just really ministered to me. And, and the way that you read apocalyptic is you just sort of still yourself like that verse that says, be still before the Lord and you just let it hit you. You know, just like, like when you watch a music video, you know, that's another genre we understand. You're not trying to figure out uh, like the timing. Oh wait, now he's in. Now he's at the beach. Wait, now he's in the studio. Wait, what happened? How did he get from the beach to the studio? You know, you know, you're just they're just images, right? And you're just you're absorbing them for the the content, the emotional content that they produce. That's what uh, apocalyptic is like. You just sort of let these images one after another wash over you and make an impression on you, and show you that God rules. Show you that God is in control. So anyway, that's more than you probably wanted on apocalyptic but uh, it's important to understand you know the the genre and if you want to get more out of revelation a lot of times people who are new to the bible you know 
you study with somebody who's never read the Bible before, they want to start in Revelation, you know, because it's exciting and it's powerful. But if you want to understand Revelation, nothing will help you understand it better than really knowing your Old Testament. Because Revelation is saturated in Old Testament. You can't get more than a verse or two without some New Testament, either direct quote or an allusion, or, you know, it, it's really pointing heavily to all these Old Testament images. So, for example, this book that we're about to look at, Zechariah, in Revelation, it has a lot of the same stuff. I, I jotted a few of them down. Like you see uh, the four horsemen, as I talked about. Uh, you see uh, uh, guided visions. There's a man among the myrtle trees in, uh, in Zechariah, whereas in Revelation, it's a man among the lampstands. There's the horns. You know, there's always horns. Horns represent world powers. Uh, there are scrolls. There are measuring instruments. There are a bunch of eyes. There are curses. There are mountains, chariots, spirits. Uh, you know, all the, a lot of the same kind of stuff we see in Revolu Revelation. Uh, there, the use of numbers, not as much as in Revelation, but uh, and there's also woman figures like in, in, in Zechariah. There's this woman in a basket who's flying, you know, flying and this and that. You know, it's it's similar to some of these things that we see in Revelation. So, but we are not going to be able to cover all 14 chapters or even kind of do an overview because it goes all over the place. We're just going to look at. A couple of little spots there here in Zechariah and get something I think that that will minister to us here at the end of the year um, so if you would turn to, to Zechariah chapter 4 and I'm gonna say a word of prayer and then we'll we'll jump in uh, and actually maybe can somebody hand me a water bottle out of there too while I'm praying God thank you for this time to uh, look into your word and to open your holy scriptures uh, thank you for uh, Thank you. Thank you for what uh, these these words have meant to your people uh, through the many years. And uh, thank you for how they can have new meaning now in the crisis that we go through uh, in our lifetimes. And uh, God, that we can be reminded that you're in control, that you rule the nations, uh, that even when things look dark, God, that uh, your, your promises still stand and uh, you still have a plan. And uh, God, I pray that each one of us can hear from your Holy Spirit as we open these, this passage uh, from Zechariah, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Zechariah 4, chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 6. Now, there's two characters, <clears throat> excuse me, before we read this, that are, are kind of prominent in Zechariah. One is named Zerubbabel. Try to say that seven times fast. Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel. Um, and the other is a guy named uh, Joshua. So Zerubbabel is the military or the, the kind of political leader. He's not a king because they're under Persian rule, but he is a descendant of David and he's the kind of governor. He's the one in charge there politically um, of God's people there in Jerusalem. And then uh, 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 Joshua is the high priest and uh, he's the one who's the spiritual leader uh, at the time. And so both Ze uh, Zerubbabel and Joshua God uses as symbols for the future messianic king that's going to come. And we believe that king is Jesus. Spoiler alert. But, uh, you know, this is hundreds of years when Zechariah is running before Jesus. And um, so anyway, when, you see, when, you, when we read some of these and you see these two na names, that's who they are. So, uh, verse 6. Then he said to me, this is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. It is not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit says the Lord of heaven's armies. Nothing, not even a mighty mountain, will stand in Zerubbabel's way. It will become a level plain before him. And when Zerubbabel sets the final stone of the temple in place, the people will shout, May God bless it! May God bless it! 
Okay, so that's encouraging. God is saying, hey, I'm with this leader. And and, I, and nobody can stop what's going to happen. The temple is going to be rebuilt. And uh, people are going to be fired up. But what was happening is as the temple starts being rebuilt, people are kind of, we read this in, 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 uh, in Haggai, people are kind of like, oh, that's kind of lame. You know, this, this is not at all. People who remember the earlier temple, they were like, this is not that great, you know? Uh, and, and so he gives some, some encouragement in verse eight. It says, uh, then another message came to me from the Lord. Zerubbabel is the one who laid the foundation of this temple and he will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies has sent me. This is this uh, vision from an angelic being. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. So I really want to just focus on this idea, because I think this is something we can all learn for, from. Uh, the angel says, or God through the angel says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. See, God rejoices even in humble beginnings. God rejoices even when we're just getting started on a good thing. Zerubbabel is, you know, it just says he's he's excited just to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. A plumb line is is what they would use to measure out the to make sure all the uh, the stones lined up to the cornerstone. So so Zerubbabel is getting this cornerstone laid and getting the foundation of the temple laid and just but it, it it's just barely beginning, you know, it's just barely starting. But it got it says God rejoices in this. Do not despise these small beginnings. God, God is in those details. God is in those little things, those little things that he, he, he really, they, they matter to him. Don't you have little humble, small things that you delight in? Uh, you know, don't you have little, just little maybe uh, traditions that you have, especially this time of year that you just really enjoy? I have, the, I have to be very careful with this, but this is Dessa's favorite oh. ornament. <laughs> I will be very careful. You better not drop him. Avery, can you zoom in on that? This is Dessa's favorite ornament. Oh, yeah, don't you drop that. And he's just a cute little guy. You can't probably see his face, but he has a cute little face and a cute cute little body. Uh, but she just, every time, every year we get this out, this is always the beginning of our Christmas decorating, and Dessa just stops for a minute and just enjoys this cute little ornament. Oh, it's so cute! <laughs> <laughs> but I think, you know, God delights in the little. God delights in, throughout Scripture, God delights in the lowly. God lifts up the humble. He often starts in a small and humble way with his broad cosmic vision. You know, think of David, uh, the, the mightiest king, the, 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 the king, you know, who all the, the Messiah would sort of, uh, it would point to the future Messiah, that would be somebody like David who would rule on David's throne. David is the classic king of Israel. But how did David start? I mean, he was a shepherd boy, obscure from a little town of Bethlehem, you know, very, very small, unknown place. Um, even when Samuel is, is looking for, uh, you know, God tells him it's going to be someone from this household, uh, uh, the town, the son of Zebedee, you know, uh, and, and he is, uh, you know, goes to the household and David's father is like, well, that's all my sons. And Samuel's like, you don't have any other sons? And he's like, oh, well, I guess there is David, you know, <laughs> even his own dad, you know, is like, doesn't even think of him, you know, to because he's just he was just this little, you know, the, the youngest of eight sons out there with the shepherds. That's who God chose. And, uh, you know, small beginnings uh, and small uh, things are they matter to God. They're very important. Think of Jesus in the manger. 
Dust, you want to go to this next one? Think of Jesus in the manger. Uh, you know, this is a beautiful painting, uh, but, you know, Jesus in the manger was, was a pretty lowly way to start your life. Yeah. Not even in a human abode. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of glorify it this time of year with, with you know, the, the nativity scenes and the, uh, all, you know, the songs and all that kind of stuff. And, and he, he deserves to be honored. He deserves to be glorified. But you think about it, really, it's just this couple, you know, she, she's, uh, if, if you know the story, she's, uh, she's thinking that um, she's going to be divorced by Joseph. Joseph plans to divorce her. And, and divorcing her is, is a, uh, a, a really gracious thing to do because she, he could have had her killed because you know here she is pregnant out of wedlock and i mean it, it it was a tough thing for them to to have this pregnancy and then they have to nine months pregnant travel uh for the census because the government wants their money you know like that it, it's not an easy thing that they're going through they're on the run they're they're facing challenges there's nowhere even for them to stay they've got to stay where the animals are uh, you know, in this cave or, or a stable, uh, you know, some kind of structure that's just good enough for the animals. It's probably a little more like, um, I, I watched this movie a couple weeks ago with my son Jameson. He's taking a film class and he has to watch different movies. And so I watched this movie with him, Children of Men. Ever, ever, anybody here seen Children of Men? So what's happening, there, there's this pregnant woman who there's, humans can't be pregnant anymore. And this one woman is found to be pregnant. And so she's on the run and there's all these people, you know, all this tension and violence. And it's very, very dark movie. I remember when I watched it the first time years, years ago, 2008, when it came out, I didn't really like it. I was like, that movie is dark, but I don't know, maybe it's who I am now. I really liked it this time. Uh, it's a very dark movie, but, but, uh, the, the birth scene though, it happens where, you know, the, the woman is in this, a refugee camp it's dirty it's people are being killed it's 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 violent it's uh, and, and, but she gets some help you know some benevolent people help her and she's in this this room this you know nasty room there's trash everywhere it's dirty and she has the baby there and i thought you know that's a lot more like probably what it was like <laughs> you know uh and and somehow they make this scene be very hopeful though uh it's 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 kind of cool how it's shot but but, it, you know, it made me it really made me think about the nativity story that that's how Jesus entered the world. That's how God chose to enter his creation. What a humble beginning. What a humble way to come to earth. And, and, and everybody misses it. Herod misses it. All of the, the wise men of Israel miss it. Who, who knows about it? It's these these foreigners, these uh, these wise men from another place, from the east. They come and they hear about it. They they they're there. The shepherds, you know, who are the the the, the blue collar, the kind of you know lower uh, lower economic economic level uh, workers. They're the ones that hear about it, and those are the ones the angels appear to are these shepherds in the field, these nobodies, right? That's who God is. God loves the lowlies. God loves the nobodies. God loves you and me and, and just our mundane lives. That's where he operates. And I think that's important this time of year because, you know, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on and, and it's been a difficult year and it, we can start to feel like, where is God in all this? And does God care? And is God moving? And, and these stories remind us that, no, God does know. Do not despise these small beginnings. God is at work. Uh, let's look at another passage here in Zechariah 6. Uh, it says, uh, so this is, uh, you know, talking now about J Joshua. So we talked about Zerubbabel a little bit. Let's look at Joshua. God says, take the silver and gold and make a crown and set it on the head of the high priest, Joshua, son of uh, Jehozadak. 
Tell him, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Here is the man whose name is the branch, and he will branch out from this place and build the temple of the Lord. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he will be clothed with majesty and will sit and rule on his throne, and he will be a priest on his throne. And there will be harmony between the two. Okay, so let me show you one other verse So we, before we explain this one. Zechariah 3.8. Uh, a few chapters earlier, God says, Listen, High Priest Joshua, you and your associates seated before you who are men symbolic of things to come. I'm going to bring my servant, the branch. So going back to chapter 6, in both of these passages, God talks about this character called the branch. And we'll talk a little bit more about what that means. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, it says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And there's other, another couple passages in Isaiah and one in Jeremiah that talks about this character called the branch. And the idea is that God is going to bring uh, this figure, this, this Messiah, uh, this, this messianic king kind of out of nowhere, like a branch coming out of dry ground. And uh, here God says, like in this uh, chapter 3, verse 8, you, Joshua, and you are a, a symbol of that Messiah, of, the, of what I'm going to do in the future. So here in, in 6, where he says he's going to be a priest, but he's also going to sit on a throne, and there'll be harmony between the two. The idea is that this Messiah will be a spiritual leader like Joshua, and also a political leader on David's throne like Zerubbabel. So both of these men kind of are symbols of this Messiah who's going to come. And here's an interesting thing. Jesus' name, you might not know this, is Joshua. Joshua means, uh, and Jesus are the same name. Jesus is the Greek form of the word of, of the name Joshua, just sort of like Jorge and George are the same name, right? One is Spanish, one is English, but it's the same name. Same thing. Jesus was named, or Yeshua is how you would say it in Hebrew. That's Jesus's name even is Joshua, which is really cool. And we're also going to see that he's connected with this idea of being the branch. But before we do that, I want to try to explain what does this mean, this idea of the branch? What does that mean? I want to show you a quick video. Uh, before you show it, I'll, I'll kind of explain it. So beside my house, after we moved in, not too long after, there, there, you know, right beside my my porch, there came out up this just this shoot out of the ground, out of nothing. It was just dirt, and the shoot comes up, but it's growing so fast. I mean, it's like faster than a weed, right? It's just out of nothing, just this, and it, it would grow like like a foot a week or something. It was like, what in the heck is that? And uh, I'll show you the video now. It it just keeps trying to grow into a tree. Go ahead and I'll talk you through it. That's my porch. You're gonna have to hit click again. Can you see it? Okay, yeah. So there, uh, that's right beside my house. So see that that stump there? I, that, that stump wasn't there, there was nothing there. But that's where I've chopped it down a time or two. <laughs> and it just keeps growing up and up and up. Uh, it's as tall as my house. And I've chopped it down, you know, three or four or five times. It just comes out of the ground. So what it is, is there must be a root system under there. And so there's, there's some bundled up energy. You can see right there, you know, how thick it is. Where uh, I, I've But that wasn't there. There was nothing there. So that's the idea that, that, that the scriptures are trying to get at about this branch. Is It's going to look like there's nothing happening. And then all of a sudden, boom. Right. And that that's what the Messiah is going to be like, that he would just come out. of He's from David's 
David's rule, but you're not going to be like, oh, yeah, we've always known it's going to be this guy. You know, with politics, sometimes somebody comes to the forefront and, and, and you know, oh, we've always known that he's going to be uh, a future political leader or whatever. It's not going to be like that, same with the Messiah. He's going to come from nowhere, out of nothing. You know, just all of a sudden you see this branch shoot up. And, and that's really... Uh, really what you see with Jesus, right? And people don't, that's why a lot of people didn't even accept him. They're like, well, we know this guy's family. And, uh, you know, people are, are arguing that, you know, cause he's from Nazareth and, uh, the, the people are like the, the, the religious leaders say, you'll see in the scriptures, there's nothing that says a prophet comes from Nazareth. You, you see them arguing about that in the book of John. Uh, they knew that Bethlehem is where the Messiah would be born. And of course, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but he was from Nazareth. He grew up in Nazareth in, in the town of Galilee. They had to travel down to Bethlehem. So the, the, the scriptures get to be fulfilled, but, but that's why a lot of the, the, the kind of scribes and the, the, the religious leaders of their time didn't accept Jesus because he came out of nowhere. And yet, and yet he had so much power. He spoke with authority. They go, where did this guy get this authority? He, we didn't see him studying and, you know, with all the, the famous rabbis. And where did he come from? Right? That's, that's the idea of the branch. And here's another thing that's really cool. Uh, the, in, in Matthew, Matthew does say, and this is for the Bible nerds. I know I always got to have a little Bible nerd section, but this is, I love this stuff. This is super cool. So Matthew does say strangely, Matthew 2, 2 verse 23, uh, this is after uh, the baby's born and the, the wise men come and, uh, or the magi come and, and uh, worship him. He, he, he's warned because of Herod, so he's got to flee down to Egypt. And then, uh, and Matthew is finding these, all these ways that you see reflections of the Old Testament in the New Testament. So even coming out of Egypt, Matthew says, that's sort of like how uh, the Israelites came out of Egypt. And I called my son out of Egypt. That's really cool. And then it says that he went and dwelt in the city uh, called Nazareth. This is Matthew 2, 23. That what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, he shall be called a Nazarene. So, now you'll never find, there's no passage in the Old Testament that says anything about Nazareth, or that says the Messiah would come from Nazareth. That's why the, the scholars, you know, they, they debated why Jesus came from Nazareth. But Matthew sees something interesting, that the, the word Nazareth in, uh, in Hebrew uh, is, especially in Aramaic, it sounds just like the word branch. So uh, it's N-Z-R are the consonants, and in Hebrew you don't have the, in Hebrew writing you don't have the uh, that vowel. So it's even the same consonants. And so it would be kind of like, like Dessa, for example, she grew up in a, on a, in a place called the Two-Bar Ranch, right? I don't know how many years. I wouldn't say you grew up there. Two years, she spent two years on the Two-Bar Ranch. But it'd be like for us if the guy came, you know, if, if he came from the B Ranch, Right? So Matthew's like, wow, that's weird. He came from the B ranch. He's the branch. That's kind of what Matthew is doing. Now, I think that's really cool that uh, being from Nazareth, it makes your name sound like the branch. So Jesus is named Joshua, and he's also uh, a Nazarene, so he's the branch. Isn't that cool? And he came out of nowhere. But what is that? what's the spiritual application? The spiritual application is, again, small things become big things in God's hands. You don't know what God could be doing with small beginnings. You don't know the ways that God could be working in, in humble ways and humble, humble uh, situations and humble circumstances. We even see this in, uh, in, worldly, in a worldly sense, you know, where small things become big things. I mean, look in just our lifetime, Facebook or Google or Netflix, 
these things didn't exist, right? Not very long ago. And yet they came out of nowhere and became this huge dominant. I mean, I remember when Amazon was just a place you could buy a book, right? Uh, and now they're like a world power, <laughs> you know? And, and so how much more can God do whatever he wants to do with whomever he wants to do it in whatever his timing might be? Um, you never know when one conversation, spiritual conversation you might have might change the world. You never know where one uh, person you invite out to church or, 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 or some ministry that you begin becomes some big thing that really makes a big difference. So do not despise these small beginnings. God, God can work in incredible ways. Um, I want to read you a text that I got uh, about a month ago from my friend uh, Norbert. I always call him Norbert. He's also known as Luke. Uh, his name is Norbert. His, his name is Norbert Luke Perez. So when I met him, he called, you know, he said, my name's Norbert. But then somewhere along the line, he was like, he started telling people his middle name is Luke. So everybody I know knows him as Luke, but I know him as Norbert, you know. Actually, it didn't print. The, the text didn't print. So I, I will, I just have to try to remember what he said. Um, but he sent me a text a couple weeks ago. But basically it was like, he had spent some time up in Bakersfield. I think it was Bakersfield, up north somewhere. And now he's back. But he really prayed that while he was there, he'd be able to help somebody become a Christian. And uh, his text was just saying how um, not only did, did somebody become a Christian at his work, but then that person helped somebody else and that person helped somebody else. And so it's been like four people become Christians just this year from this time that he spent up north. And Norbert is one of those guys. He's just incredibly fruitful. I don't know how many people have been baptized uh, through Norbert, but I mean, it's gotta be dozens and dozens, you know, and a lot of people we know, you know, like, uh, that, that, that come from the off, the spiritual offspring of, of Norbert and Joanne. And, uh, but I remember years ago meeting Norbert, we, we were up, up at the pier and, uh, there was a, a few people going to happy hour there. Um, you gotta be careful with happy hour. You know, I'm a minister talking about happy hour, but I wasn't a minister then. But anyway, we were at happy hour to, to hang out with people. And he came, somebody invited him. And we just started talking about keyboards. He's a musician. And we invited him over and, uh, you know, started to build a friendship. I invited him to study the Bible. Studying the Bible with Norbert was not easy because he, he he's very, uh, he likes to talk, if you know Norbert. <laughs> and uh, I remember being like, okay, read, read him a scripture about being like a little child or being slow to speak. And uh, let me just get through this, this next, you know, <laughs> study. And then, but, uh, but man, he just took to it. And uh, he became just this amazing, fruitful, evangelistic uh, brother. And so in, in this text, he's just saying how grateful he was for me for studying the Bible with him and teaching him how to pray and teaching him all this stuff many years ago, you know. Um, probably 20, over 25 years ago. Um, and, uh, but for me, it's like, I had no idea meeting him at the pier, uh, talking to him about keyboards, that this would become this person through hundreds of people, thousands of people have been spiritually influenced, uh, just through that one interaction that we had. And we all, you know, know stories like that, but just, it was good for me to just be reminded about it, you know, a couple weeks ago through his text and be encouraged by that. Like, I don't know when the next conversation I have with somebody might be something that God does something amazing with. And so I want to encourage you, you know, as we close out to, to, to pick some way that you want to, um, a new beginning that you want to have a new small beginning that you want to have, uh, you know, it might be um, beginning a new ministry. Uh, like, I appreciate my son Marshall. He's going to share about this in a minute here. But 
you know, a couple years ago, he just had it in his heart to, to build a streaming ministry here for us because he's into technology and he knew how to do it. So he did all this research on cameras and, and uh, you know, first it was going to go one direction and he got some advice from Turnwall and we kind of went in a different direction. And, and uh, but he, he built it all. He bought all the stuff. And, and uh, you know, at first it was serving, you know, eight or nine people every week, people who were uh, sick or, or uh, elderly. And boy, it's been a, a great tool for us this year, you know? Uh, who knew when Marshall was building that ministry uh, that God was going to do something incredible with it, you know? And God was going to really use it. Um, I appreciate Gina really trying to build a, a, a ministry for the, the youth, you know, for the preteens and and, uh, and and the pre-tweens and, you know, the, the young youngsters. Um, that has been a great ministry. We have Avery here uh, serving a, a, on camera. She's part of that ministry. Um, but I really appreciate Gina just going, I want to build this ministry. I want to do this. And, and God is blessing it. God is really blessing these kids' lives. There's an investment being made in these kids uh, that is going to last for their lifetimes. And I can say the same about the teen ministry and the teen leaders and, and all, all the different, the, our singles ministry, all these different people that really invest so much. But but the, the thing to be reminded of is don't, don't get down when you don't see immediate results. Uh, don't be uh, discouraged uh, when people don't thank you, you know, or don't be discouraged when you feel like, man, I don't, I'm not getting traction. God says, do not despise these small beginnings. The Lord rejoices to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. God's fired up just to see Zerubbabel with his tape measure, just getting started on the temple. God's fired up. So how does God feel about what we're doing right now over Zoom and trying to, you know, struggle with these Zoom Bible talks and trying to struggle with, you know, the, the, we've got a little gathering in the Marichi's backyard right now. Hello, Marichi's backyard. You know, we have a, a little gathering in the Jackson's backyard. Hello, Jackson's backyard. And, and uh, the rest of you in your homes, you know, how does God feel about all that right now? You know, how does God feel about you know, our live stream and all this. I think he feels like this, like Dessa feels about this little guy, you know. We love him. He just he goes, oh, I just love this. This is so cool. Jesus said, wherever two or more are gathered, there I am. You know, gathering like this is more first century than having a big mega church. I just got to be honest, you know, and there, I know some of us are frustrated. We miss being all together and I get that and I miss it too. But this is really first century, you know, gathering with small and small little gatherings, uh, uh, ga you know, being able to, to, to see God's, feel God's presence where just two or more are gathered. That's, I think God delights in that. God's teaching us something through that. I hope we're all back together again really soon. And I love worshiping with thousands of people. Don't get me wrong. You know, I love it. And I can't wait till we can do it again. But I think we've got to remember, do not despise these small beginnings. Do not despise these small little things that God is doing. God is fired up. God is exciting. God is going to do something through us and with us. Amen. And as we take communion, uh, let's think about how, uh, our king that we worship. Our king, in, in, uh, if you skip forward to Zechariah 9, uh, it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. Wait, what? What just happened? <laughs> your king comes to you righteous and victorious lowly and riding on a donkey like that doesn't make that doesn't compute a king rides on a war horse a king is like conquering a donkey to to these mindset in the in the the, the, the zechariah listener it's kind of like a charlie brown christmas tree you know like what victorious incredible the best christmas ever <laughs> What? Lowly and riding on a donkey. 
But that's who God is. That's who Jesus is. Verse 10 of, of chapter 9. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem. The battle bow will be broken. Battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. That's our Savior who we worship. He's humble. He's lowly. And yet he's king of kings because it's a different, it's an upside down kingdom. It's a different set of values than this world, what this world values. And so as we take this, these little elements, you know, a little bit of bread, a little bit of wine, it's eternal. This is huge. It's cosmic what we're doing, celebrating communion and proclaiming his death until he comes. Small beginnings matter. Jesus said the kingdom belongs to the little kids, right? The kingdom belongs to the little and the lowly. Let's, uh, let's pray for communion and uh, remember and reflect on these things. God, I pray we could all, uh, uh, as we pause here at the end of the year, be grateful for whatever the little small things are that you have done in our lives. You know, I pray each one of us can reflect on one small thing that you've done in our lives this year. And God, I pray we can all also uh, pick one small beginning we want to have as we go into the new year of, of doing something uh, for you or with you, whether it's, uh, you know, just a, a new relationship we want to build or uh, a, a relationship we want to to heal that's been hurting or a uh, a new habit we want to develop or a new ministry we want to lead. God, I pray we put those things in your hand and just trust that you are sovereign over those things and you can you can do anything with us, God. And uh, bless, uh, you know, our small little efforts and may they multiply and, and produce great fruit and may they uh, make world changes, God, in these little, little ways. Uh, God, we love this vision of Jesus riding on a donkey because it reminds us of the upside down nature of your kingdom. And we love being able to proclaim his, his, uh, his death until he comes, even his death on the cross, God, that that was the triumphant uh, uh, death blow to Satan was here the king being killed, being crucified. It's, it's crazy. It doesn't make sense. And yet it's beautiful and glorious, um, God. And that, that's the way that you chose to, uh, to save our souls was through humbling yourself, um, through allowing yourself to be tortured and killed. And, and through that, God, that we could all have entrance into eternal glory and into eternal blessings and a banquet we get to enjoy with you forever. A blessed time of reflection right now. Uh, God, help us to not despise these small beginnings. Uh, we know that it's in small beginnings that your kingdom really comes to those who welcome it. And uh, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.